that you can look at. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It's actually the book of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and in a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, son of James. All these were one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You may be seated. Let's pray the word of the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for hearing, Father, the word in the beginning, the story of Christ. Father, giving commands to his disciples about what they are to do next. Father, we as a church, we as Northwest Baptist, Father, we hear the commands that you have given and we wait for you, for what you wanna do here, what you wanna do in this place, in this community, in this state, in this nation and all over the world. And Lord, we ask you that you would be the head, that you would guide us and direct us that we may not do it on our own power or strength, but as a result of your Holy Spirit being poured out amongst your people in this room. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My friend, a friend of mine, uh, I've got lots of friends, and um, that's not a brag. I, I shouldn't even have said that. But I, I do have some friends. I have some friends. I don't have a lot, but uh, I do have some. I hope that I would call you all my friends. Um, how am I doing? 
a friend of mine, he, he bought a building and uh, he invited me over to see his, his building that he bought and it was, uh, he was like, I'm turning this into my man cave and if you don't know what that is, it's just a, a word that means that men get to dress up their room or their, their building the way that they want to, right? And that is the man cave and they can do man things in there and uh, that's, that's what it is. But uh, you can imagine what the place looked like. He, he actually put a lot of time and money into the place. He hung old, old uh, posters and I, I don't even know what they were, like gasoline, uh, com- like uh, commercials or advertisements. I'm, I'm not sure what they were, but it, it, it was a cool industrial feel. You can imagine this place. And one day he was showing it to me and I was looking about the place and, and I saw this car and it's parked in there. And I asked him, what, what kind of car is this? You know, it was an older car and it was, looked pretty cool. He said, it's a Corvette. Now, now, I don't know a lot about cars, if you know me very well. I don't, I don't, I don't have, have that kind of uh, knowledge about that stuff, but he, when I saw the car, I thought to myself, wow, this is a nice car, right? I mean, it looks like it just gotten waxed. Its shine was glowing off my face. I'm looking at the car, looking at the tires, going, man, those are nice tires. I, I kind of wish I had those tires on my car. And I was like, why have I never seen this car? And he said to me, well, the engine doesn't work. It has no power. And so I said to him, it just sits here? He said, yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. And Jesus tells his disciples, you can't fulfill the mission until you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, churches can look very fancy and shiny. They can have all the bells and whistles, and yet churches that operate outside of the power of the Holy Spirit go nowhere. They cannot fulfill the mission of God Because just as the apostles needed the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the nations, to the people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, so do we as the church need the power of God to take the gospel into our marketplace, into our neighborhoods, into our state, into our community, and into our world today. Some places they can build a large church building, they can have a charismatic pastor in which people love to listen to, and pretty soon the church itself is built upon sand instead of the solid rock of Christ. And we know what happens to a house built on the sand. It crumbles. And we see at the beginning of this passage, it's a reliance upon God himself to build his church. We see the passage is a spirit-filled church, is a church that prays together and relies upon God. You see, prayer points us back to God as our sustainer, as our provider. It allows us to remember that all we need is Christ. It's a form, prayer is a form of trust in God and not ourselves. 
not in our own abilities, and recognizing that God sits on the throne, not us. So my purpose in preaching this message today is to help us, remind us to remember that a church without the power of God can go nowhere. That we need the power of God to be the church that God wants us to be. So here's, here we are in Acts chapter 1. How did we get here? So right, Christ dies on the cross. God pours out his wrath upon Christ on the cross. The sins of the world are forgiven as Christ dies to those who believe in him. He resurrects from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he visits over 500 people and Acts picks up where the gospels end. Jesus' instructions to his disciples for the work that he is about to do, that they are about to do. And Acts verse three tells us that he has been there 40 days instructing the disciples on how to be the church, how to make disciples of Christ. And this is where we pick up right here in this instructions. Let's look at verse three. He presented himself alive to them and after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is our first point this morning. Christ mission is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ's mission is only accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is really interesting. The power of the Holy Spirit is that which expands the kingdom of God. It's the only way in which the kingdom expands. Jesus says you can't go any further unless you have this power. You must wait here in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit in depth in the Lord's Supper discourse, and sometime we'll be able to, to preach on that, but in, in, in John chapter 16, Jesus talks specifically about the Holy Spirit. If you wanna turn there, you can, but John chapter 16, verse seven, I gotta read you these verses because you have to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does before we understand that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
but if I go, I will send him to you. So he's saying here that it's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit comes. I must go back to the Father so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. It's to your advantage that I go. And the Holy Spirit comes. Verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, uh, I'm sorry, verse eight. And when he comes, what will he do? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Who does not believe in me? The world. Those on the outside who do not know Christ the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. What does he say? Concerning righteousness, what does the Holy Spirit do? Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Holy Spirit shows them that Christ is righteousness, that they need to clothe themselves in the righteousness of Christ. Number three, concerning judgment, verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan is not the way. They do not need to follow Satan. They need to follow Christ and there will be a judgment there will be a reckoning in which they are punished for their sins and who is convicting the world of this it is the Holy Spirit he says in verse 12 I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, very important, he will glorify me. Who will he glorify? Christ. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see the role of the Holy Spirit here. To glorify Christ by convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Guess what? No amount of proclamation of the gospel by itself can bring about salvation in the life of a person. That means it can't be the best preacher in the world, the greatest preacher in the world cannot bring about salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. It is only through spirit-empowered gospel proclamation in which one is convicted of their sin that leads to repentance and faith in Christ. It's only the Holy Spirit that leads someone to, to follow Jesus as the righteousness of God, who believes that Jesus never sinned, who believes that they need the righteousness of Christ upon them, that they need to receive that. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit can one realize that there will be a judgment, that God will punish sin, that he is a just and holy God. So what does it look like then to have a church that is accomplishing the mission of God? It looks like a lot. It looks like a spirit-filled church. They recognize the power is not in themselves or how great they are, but rather in the power of God for accomplishing his mission. So instead of flexing their muscles and flashing their Bible skills, they are on their knees praying and asking God to do something great. Northwest, we, we cannot accomplish anything apart from the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm convinced of this. 
I'm convinced that it is our role to wait upon God, to be in prayer for what he wants us to do, to be a church that looks a lot like verse 12 here in chapter one. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a seventh day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord. What were they? They were together in unity. Why? They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They're devoting themselves to reliance upon God in prayer, together as one body. So what happens? For 10 days they pray. And chapter two begins what happens as a result of the prayer and the waiting upon for the Holy Spirit to come. Chapter two, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is our second point this morning. Prayer ushers in the work of the Holy Spirit. Prayer ushers in the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the manifestation of God upon his people and begins a day in which believers go from one room together to 3,000 baptized believers. You can imagine what's happening here. They're sitting together waiting on the Lord in prayer with one another. They have been waiting close to 10 days. Have you ever waited for something for 10 days? It's like an eternity. Amazon now delivers in two days. If you live in big cities, you have drones that deliver on the same day. I heard somebody tell me that they might get that to Oklahoma City. I don't know that, but it might happen. 10 days seems like forever. And sometimes when we pray for things to happen, it takes time. God is doing something to prepare our hearts and minds for what he wants to do. It seems like sometimes God wants us to wait in a posture of prayer. How does God answer prayer? Sometimes it's no. I, I, I use this with kids sometimes. Green light, red light, yellow light, right? How does God answer prayer? Red light, no. James four talks about not asking according to the will of God. We ask for our own selfish desires. God will not bless that. He says no. What about the yellow light? It's a slow or a, a and sometimes I, I use the word grow, right? Uh, Mary and Martha want their their, their brother, Lazarus, to be healed by Jesus. And 
Jesus says, wait, slow. Why? Because God is about to do something greater. Slow down, yellow light, or go. John 15, seven, we actually preached on this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding in Christ, knowing the will of God, being connected to God at that level, you know what he wants and you're praying the word of God back to him and asking for him to do the will of God. What's he going to do? He's gonna show up. Guess what prayer does? Prayer unifies God's church. It prepares God's church for his work. Prayer is preparing us for God's work. Why? Because we are aligning our hearts in worship and repentance and asking and yielding to God's will through prayer. And guess what? When we ask of the Lord, do you know what he gives us? When we ask of the Lord, do you know what he gives us? Disciples are asking Jesus in Luke chapter 11, teach us to pray. And so the Lord teaches them to pray by by sharing with them the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. That's the Lord's prayer. But oftentimes we separate what comes next after the Lord's prayer but it's just as important. Jesus says this, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he gives a little illustration here. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will he instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Trip asked me for an egg. Hey, I don't need an egg, daddy. I'll give him a scorpion. No, that just doesn't happen. Neither will heavenly father do that. But then in verse 13, he says this. If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give? And if if you think about this, you're like, oh, give good gifts, right? We're gonna, if, if you then or who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will the heavenly father give what? Give good gifts, right? No. The scripture says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You read that scripture and you're like, what? I thought he was gonna say, give good gifts to me. No, he says the Holy Spirit. You see, God wants to give us the Holy Spirit so that we can do the work that he's called us to do. So Luke 11, actually in prayer, is asking God, for himself, asking him to move amongst his people, your kingdom here as it is in heaven. God indwells us out salvation. We are given the Holy Spirit, but guess what? We can grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin, by the things we choose to do. We can also be spirit-filled. Paul talks about not being drunk, but being filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
led by the Holy Spirit. God lives in you as believers to come alongside you, to empower you to do the works of God. The, the power comes to bring about glory to God by sharing the gospel, by discipling, by teaching people about Christ, by seeing people repent and believe in the name of Christ. You see, throughout history, God has used prayer to bring about the works of God in our world. Time and time again, God moves in extraordinary ways. He pours out his spirit in fresh, dramatic ways. We call these things revival or awakening or reformation in which God manifests himself and moves people towards repentance and faith in Christ and a life of obedience to the word of God. Why? Because it glorifies Christ. This is what happens as God reveals himself here in Acts chapter two in a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. This is no different than when God has revealed himself before in the burning bush or the pillar of fire in the desert or the Holy Spirit as a dove descending from heaven, the baptism of Christ in Acts chapter four, the building shakes in chapter six, Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. In chapter 16, there's an earthquake. At times, the Spirit stoops down to give us a visible, an audible, a touchable demonstration of his presence and his power. Guess what? Pentecost here, what does it mean? It means feast of the harvest. Feast of the harvest. And this is what happens as thousands of people are saved by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 9, 47 says this. You might look at this in a different light when you're talking about these things. But it says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. The one who brings about the harvest is not us. It is the Spirit of God. to send out laborers into his harvest. May God do something only he can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be a church that falls on our knees pleading for God to move, not only in this church, but in our city, in our state, amongst our nation. And after the Spirit came from heaven, shakes the room, tongues of fire visible to the people. Peter preaches the gospel. And this is what accompanies the Spirit, gospel proclamation that glorifies Christ. Peter's sermon, he writes here, or he, he shares here with the people 
He shares with them in, in chapter 2, verse 36, at the end of his sermon, explaining who Christ is and why he came and what God is doing amongst his people. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the same Peter who cowardly walked away from from Jesus denying him three times during the trial and the crucifixion scene. And this is the man walking up in front of thousands of people and saying, you crucified this Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Who did the cutting to the heart? It was the Holy Spirit. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. can't tell me that the gift of the Holy Spirit was only for the first century church. He says it's for us as well. And when many, with many other woods, he, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. This is our last point this morning. The result of a spirit-filled church is glory to God. The result of a spirit-filled church is glory to God. The result of a spirit-filled church is conviction and ultimately asking the question, what should I do? Peter tells them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, not only does God take away our sins because they have been paid for by Christ on the cross, but he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide, to teach us the truth, to guide us in truth. And he equips us with the Holy Spirit to be able to be a disciple of Christ. It is only through the repentance or the changing of a mind, a desire to worship God in faith, can one be saved.